she is a labradoodle. Well, they say she's a labradoodle. I'm not a <laughs> mum. She, um, I don't know what her dad was up to. Hi, welcome to Walking the Dog. I'm Emily Dean, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcasts. I'm loving doing them. So it'd be great if you could remember to subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes. This week, I went to visit Gabby Logan in her Buckinghamshire country manor, and we went out with her boxer Milo and her labradoodle Maggie. She just couldn't get enough of being cuddled and having her tummy rubbed, but in the end, I had to say, look, Gabby, I'm glad you're having fun, but I can't do this all day. We'll go... Bye! Bye, Lois! Um, I should say... Have we started? Uh, <laughs> I'm at Gabby Logan's house. She's very kindly invited us up here in Buckinghamshire, and we've just been with her lovely daughter, Lois, who is quite the character. I've sort of fallen a bit in love with her. <laughs> she was going to come with us, and then I said, are you not coming with us, Lois? And she said, no. I said, why not? She said, well, I didn't know you were going to be as fun as you were. <laughs> Did she? <laughs> <laughs> So I really feel I've got the thumbs up. <laughs> That's what she was saying. Yes. Well, so it was funny. a fabulous honesty. <laughs> yeah. I've now I've decided no, and it turns out you're all right. I wish I'd said yes, but we discussed um... it, and she said, "What if you'd been some horrible old woman?" <laughs> Which is nice to know I'm not that. So we're on your land. Do you want to introduce your dogs formally so to us? I'm walking the dog. This is Maggie, and Maggie is three on the 21st of April. And she is a Labradoodle. Well, they say she's a Labradoodle. I'm not a <laughs> mum. She, um, I don't know what her dad was up to, but she comes from a litter of eight who all look like the mum, which is a nice, you know, that blonde, curly... Yes. You just want to bury your hands in it, lie down on top of them kind of curls. And because we've got the other dog I haven't introduced you to, Milo, who is a classic boxer, you know, very gingery boxer. If you were going to do a cartoon of a boxer, he's um, classic. Yeah, he's got the nice white bit down the front of his face as well. So he has a, he has a kind of open looking face and he's and he's our second boxer we've ever had. So we were we were into boxers, but um I wanted the second dog to be a bit curly. And um, so Kenny was slightly reticent about this, but I had... We should say, in case anyone doesn't know, who Kenny doesn't Logan, know? Husband, Kenny yeah. Logan is Gabby's husband. And so when we were kids, we always had poodles, because my mum... Sorry, that was very... My partner, David Furnish, <laughs> made you repeat that. <laughs> Kenny Logan, my husband. <laughs> so he... Kenny's um, from farming background, right? So for him, dogs were practical things, you know, that um, they either had Alsatians to protect the machinery, or they had little things that chased rats, so like Jack Russells. So he loves the boxers, but he didn't really want a curly dog. And I was telling him how amazing poodles were, I grew up with standard poodles and he that was one step too far in the dog breeding for him so he said labradoodle was fine we know the mum she lives down the road yeah. she had a litter we went round on day three we picked her right so there's nothing discerning in terms of their markings at day three what you thought she was a golden retriever or a... i did yeah i hope you weren't offended by no, that no i like golden retrievers <laughs> but like you know it's like going out for a really nice chinese meal ordering your dishes and then you get presented with an indian meal and the indian meal's <laughs> lovely and you like indian food but that's not what you went for. I think because of that, I felt like a mother that slightly rejected her baby at first. <laughs> I was a little bit like, whatever. Um, also, and a fabulously shallow mother. Very on, shallow. On the strength of her Completely hair texture. <laughs> but she's won me over on personality because she's actually, she's amazing. She's probably the best dog well, we've do ever had. Well, you know why I like the way she looks, if we're going to go down the shallow, shallow road? route. <laughs> but I, why I like the way she looks is I don't think she's recognisably... Yeah. Anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you think I look like a nice person that's got that's got a stray? But no, she looks like she could be anything, as you say. Yeah. But I quite like that. She's just lovely, and she's 
She's the most, she's the kindest, sweetest, most enthusiastic person you've ever met. You know, in the morning when you go in, uh, Milo, the, the boxer, barely lifts his head up. He just goes, yep, I'll see you soon. I'm just finishing my snooze. She gets up and she runs over and she wags her tail every morning. It's like, you're here! So pleased to see you again. So she has got that. But they do have a nice dynamic with each other. It's quite interesting because he's very protective of her and he likes, he likes having her around because he had a year living with us without. Because I should say, Milo, we haven't had since puppy, we got him on um, pre-loved because um, when we moved to this house, we just lost our first boxer. Yeah. And uh, who's buried in the garden, actually. And um, so we were all incredibly sad and thought we'd wait a while to get another puppy. But Lois and I just couldn't wait. And we went for a coffee in Beaconsfield one day and this woman had this gorgeous ball of loveliness on her knee and I said that's the most amazing dog where did you get that dog from who is it you know she said oh the website pre-loved and I said we're going through a gate by the way sorry yeah we're going through very exciting for a town we're gonna have to go over a style you're right with that yeah I can do a style um this was the muddy bit I was worried about but you're all right yeah and so we went on this website when we got in and then we saw this dog that looked a lot like our old boxer and was two years old Gabby's doing the style first (laughs) in style she's (laughs) she's showing us what to do in case we get it wrong And then we found Milo and he was living at the time where we just moved from in London. Anyway, we went to meet him. And I know this sounds a bit big-headed, but he loved us straight away. Did you know? he? Did you have him at hello? Well, he turned round. I said, I said, Milo, he turned round. And when his owner called him, he kept coming to us. Um, so have you always had dogs, Gabby? Like, when you were growing up with your parents? Yes. With Terry? Yes. Did you have your and dad? Christine. Did, uh, and yeah. Christine's your mum, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. Um, did you have dogs when you were growing up? Yeah, well, we had um, uh, poodles, standard poodles. And we had a, we had one that was the... You know, like, so I wouldn't have thought of that. Sorry to interrupt. For Terry, you're a footballer. Traditional footballer. <laughs> dog the poodle was that pressure from your mum i'd say i'd say it was the the female influence yeah her main prerequisite for any animal she'd have loved the whole uh, doodle thing the whole kind of poodle breeding thing because her main requisite that was that a dog couldn't oh, um, hello, the dogs have met hello. hello hi hello how are you the dog couldn't um maybe you'd have a bag of poo but no dog um, but yeah, you've just bumped into some fellow dog walkers. Without a dog. I call them fellow dog walkers, but you're right. There was no dog, dog there, but, but they, they did have a bag of poo. Which also is very odd because in the country you don't pick up the poo because the dogs just go off into the bushes. I had a terrible thought. And then... What if that's not dog poo? <laughs> I mean, in fairness, you could just wander around with a black plastic bag for emergencies. But it looked heavy and steaming. Well, and that's was... why. Maybe it wasn't dog poo. I mean, what sort of animals have you got? <laughs> I thought it was nice bucking maybe them, there is Maybe there is medicinal use for um, things like deer poop. Maybe that's what they've gone around collecting deer poop. <laughs> I did, think you're being they, optimistic They did look poop. a bit sheepish, actually, when we said hello. Like, we'd call them out. <laughs> Don't bring sheep into it. I, I'm concerned about those people. Anyway. So back to childhood back dogs. To Terry and Christine. Are you all right with this one, by the way? This is quite a, um, an well, adventure. we've come one. to a style. <laughs> and I'm warning the producer, because I don't think he's worn sensible footwear. I always warn him. <laughs> did you think he was walking with townies? He always wears fashion shoes. <laughs> and we've come to a style, but it's like something out of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> About four weeks ago, over Christmas. I was so little, I can't all get over down. It. And I had bringing some friends for a walk, there were about 12 of us, and we all went over, and as we got over the top, we must have been hung over or something, because we looked back and realised we could have just walked round the side. 
Well, so, I think you were showing off your sporty <laughs> nature, Gabby they, they were actually fellow country friends. They were from oh, Cornwall. Were they? So they're quite, yeah, they're quite used to it, but clearly not as observant. Uh, none of us were observant. But no, Terry and Christine, mum and dad, had... Um, Great their... 70s names, may I say. Yes, <laughs> although they were named in the 50s. <laughs> she was um, a fan of uh, the kind of fluffier, smaller, non... What was her...? She didn't like dogs that left hair, basically. So they didn't call them hypoallergenic then, did yeah, they? Yeah, but it's non-shedding. Yeah, dogs, non-shedding yeah. dogs and poodles fit that criteria so they had a small dog to start off with then they got an afghan hound which was again very 70s yeah um called frosty when i was a little girl and so what i trying to imagine your childhood and was it i imagine you were moving about a lot were you with your dad's yeah career? it was it was what you call quite peripatetic i guess in terms of the he if he if he had to move then we were told that day, you know. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be moving at the end of the season. It would be, I'm going... Because in those days, they didn't have the Bosman ruling, so footballers had to move when they were told. I love it when Gabby gets technical. <laughs> Can I just say, she's made us go over three styles. I mean, she's showing off now. <laughs> yeah. <to> go. <laughs> the producer's got stuck on barbed wire, and I'm laughing. Um, I feel like this is the same thing Madonna would do to one of her crew. You got <laughs> <laughs> stuck on barbed wire, it's so funny. Let's put it on YouTube. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so... Yeah, so he'd say move clubs and then two months later we'd follow. So we'd leave school at the end of a term rather than mid-term. So he'd rent somewhere and then we'd move on. And the biggest move like that was when we lived in Coventry when I was about eight, or the one that had the most impact, I think, in terms of memory. So it was Le- were you born in Leeds? Born in Leeds. Yeah. He played for Leeds until I was four. Then we moved to Coventry. But that's, you know, that's all right. You're four, so you haven't really got any friends or anything. Yeah. You, know, you, just, you just do what your family does. So we stayed in Coventry for about four years, which was really a really lovely place to grow up, actually. I know it kind of gets a bad press, Coventry, but actually it was really nice little school and we had a really nice time and had a lovely dog called Sadie. We had a really nice time there and then he moved to Spurs, but my mum didn't want to move. To she London. wanted to move to London. She did want to move, but she didn't want to live in a smaller house. Right. So, um, she oh, I love the sound of your mum <laughs> in a sports car with a miniature poodle. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. So I think she wanted to live like in Buckingham Palace or nowhere. You know, it was kind of like, I'm going to be in Knightsbridge. My mum still to this day judges everywhere on where it is from King's Cross because that's where the train from Leeds goes in. So she'll say to, I'll say to her, well, I'm going to this restaurant and why don't you meet me five minutes before? And she'll say, how far is it from King's Cross? <laughs> And everything is the distance from King's Cross. But Mum, I live in Wimbledon now, but how far is that from King's Cross? So um, she's actually not that Leeds, but she's, she is very Leeds. Then we moved to Vancouver after Spurs. So that was quite a big, you know, change for mm. all of us. And he moved, he moved about um, four months ahead of us, which was the longest we'd had apart at that point. And I remember feeling really sorry for him one day because he rang me up and said, he said, can I speak to Gabby? And he said, it's Mother's Day on Sunday. There's some money in the bedside cabinet next to my bed. And it wasn't. It was Mother's Day in Canada. It wasn't Mother's Day in England. And I was crying so much that my mum thought I was ill and didn't want me to go to school. And I said, no, no, I'm fine. I've just got the stomachache. Because I didn't want to tell her that he'd got it wrong. You know know those those mental kind of things that you have from childhood where you feel so desperately sorry for everybody. And you sort of, it's when the kind of weight of the responsibilities of the adult yeah. world intrude Suddenly on your life yeah, a bit. Yeah. And you understand for a brief moment what it's like to be an adult. And yeah. And did you, would you say your childhood was happy? Oh, yeah. It was, it was a very... Um, I think my parents, they had us really young. You know, so, so my mum was 20 when she got married. By the time she was 26, she had three kids, which is just ridiculous, isn't it? And so they still lived a very young 
life. You know, they went out a lot and they lived by the seat of their pants. They were both working class kids who suddenly had a decent income. So, you know, let's spend it on a holiday. Let's do something interesting. Let's buy a nice house. And, you know, they didn't necessarily always plan for the following year. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite a um, quite an adventurous and... Um, oh, and was, was, did you have a sense of wow, my dad's a footballer, this is quite glamorous or exciting. It's, it, it, yeah, it was different. It didn't, it, 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 it was all we knew, you know. So it, it, at first it didn't feel that exciting or glamorous. It was when other people start to tell you that it is, you know. So other boys at school or, or boys at school and people at school start, especially when footballers usually live in the location where they play. So when yeah. you live somewhere like Coventry, all the kids support Coventry. So if your dad screwed up on a Saturday, they'd let you know about it on a Monday. Or if he did something good, you know, they'd let you know about it. So most people were reasonable about things. Um, and, and not, you know, to an eight-year-old, they wouldn't be mean. But um, but there were moments where you felt a bit um, like you were in a goldfish bowl, you know. And also, I could never understand how my dad, wherever we lived, he seemed to know everybody. Because, of course, everybody would come up and say hi to him because <laughs> they see yeah. him. So I was like, Dad knows everybody. Do you, and, um, do you think it would be different being the child of a footballer now? Definitely, yeah. In what way? I think my dad earned a good living, but he didn't, you know, it wasn't like the the mega kind of money that footballers earn now. And that must affect your your life, you know, and what how you're perceived. And, you know, people at school might have known my dad was a footballer, but they didn't necessarily think we were rich. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So there was no kind of expectation that we were going to be the ones funding the parties or, you know. I think also there was less of an obsession then with money and acquiring things. And lifestyle. And the lifestyle, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of... There was still very much as well, um, it was a sport in touch with its fans and um, the game was um, played quite often by people from that you know, locality, although I've talked about moving. Mm. There was still a connection, I think, the clubs and the, and the locality. So my dad would do like tons of charity events and you know, all those, being asked to open things and go and do things and be part of the community. So that, I think, that element of it's definitely changed. It's so micromanaged now by agents and yes. the like. And you, I was going to ask you something, and I wanted to ask you about your brother, because you sent me a really lovely message when you read something I'd written about my sister that dying. That was an amazing piece. Well, it's, it was interesting, because you sent me a really touching message. It really made me well up, actually. Um, sorry to get so tearful so early on in the <laughs> podcast, everyone. Not what you were <laughs> expecting. No, but you sent me a lovely message about saying... You just said, I know what it's like to lose a sibling, and I, I kind of... I understand, and it's sort of a hard thing to explain to people, isn't it, really, unless you've experienced it? Yeah. Your brother died, when how I was, old were you? I was 19, just 19, and he was 15, just about to go into being 16. Yeah. And um, and I think the thing about losing a sibling, you're, you, only you together have lived all that life, you know? And so with my sister as well, my brother was a lot younger than us, my brother Jordan, so he was six at the time. And so the four of us, you know, had... Well, the older three certainly had moved around all those journeys I was talking to you about moving cities, moving countries, you know, all those trips, all those holidays, all those things. That's the three of us together on those journeys. And then, you know, suddenly, first of all, your history changes a bit, doesn't it? But also the dynamic in the family is just, well, you know, it, yeah. it completely changes. And my mum used to say it was like a sledgehammer coming down and just kind of smashing everything smithereens and then seeing how over time it comes back together and and relationships can't ever really be the same they, that doesn't mean they won't have any value or be no it'd be lovely but they can't ever really be truly the same as they were before because everybody is different everybody's changed and you know someone once said to me i remember a lot of people you know you read things don't you when you go through it and you're looking for something that will make sense of it yeah and i can remember reading someone had said about 
bereavement. And specifically the loss of a younger family member. You know, in my case, yeah. my sister was in her 40s, whereas your brother was obviously a teenager. But it's still that sense of going before your time. Yeah. And I read someone saying, you'll walk again, but it will be with a limp when you yeah. experience something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think you then have this family setup where everyone's got a slight limp. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's sort That's of really... trying to sort of get through it. But it's life, as you say, it's never the same again. And the, I'm just nervous. There's a... What's going on? There's something know. in a field. There's a man yeah. in a field. We could just walk around the woods that way and go back the way we came. I think we should avoid the Because I'll tell you what, as well, there's these electric fences which the dogs don't like. Maybe yeah. Milo, come this way. We'll go back down the bottom of the field. Come here. What's that noise? Is that an agricultural noise? I think it is, isn't it? Just for the record, there's an agricultural noise. Uh, yes, I'm enjoying the agricultural <laughs> noise. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so it's very... And my mum also used to say somebody... It was actually something that she'd experienced when she was having more children. Because somebody said to her, she was worried about how she would love my sister when she was when she, I was a baby. Yeah. And the same thing applies at the other end of your children's life. She said, it's like a complete love every time. You know, it's a whole new love for each child. And then when you lose a child, it's then like a limb has gone. You know, that's what she, she yeah. said. Because it's like, it's like you've grown all these different limbs of love almost. And that's how you've balanced yourself. Yeah. And then you're out of balance because... You've, you've got used to that kind of, you know, that equilibrium, if you like, and everything changes. And well, your whole identity changes. I know now, my mum used to say, after my sister died, people would say, how many children yeah. have you got? Yeah. And my mum would say, she'd pause and think, well, if I say one, as in me, yeah. the one surviving child, I'm lying and yeah. I'm denying the existence yeah. of someone else of my sister's life. But then if I say two, they'll say, oh, how old's your other daughter? Yeah. And then you have to have a con you have to say, well, she's dead with the person you're buying your groceries from. You, you feel know? that you're giving that person more than they bargained for. And yeah. <laughs> their question was not expecting them to lead to that discussion, yeah. was it? But I, you know, my mum was always very much said four children because actually most of the time, People then didn't go through, want to go through each one individually, but then she said, yeah. I just couldn't say three because, you know, we, yeah. were, we were a family of six. I had four children. That was, that was the, you know. And do you think we your parents, I mean, your parents, they split up, didn't they? Yes. And do you think that was because of the pressure of the yeah. your, I mean, loss it, of your brother? It was, um, it took a, it was a long ripping off of the plaster. You know, it didn't happen immediately. It was on my 30th birthday that he actually moved out. And so it was 10 years, just over 10 years afterwards. But it was definitely the major, it was like the 80%, if you like, of the reason, I think, because of the way that their relationship changed. And 75% of couples don't survive a child's bereavement. So, Is that right? Yeah. And, and I'm not surprised because how you think about yourself and how you, how you deal with that. And everybody deals with things. Maggie thought she had that partridge in, I know. in her sights. The dog that looks like nothing secretly thinks it's a gun dog. <laughs> so she's going, oh, I'll go get that. Whereas Milo, look, what's that? What's going Milo, on? Come what's here. going on? If, my, if I could just describe Milo's facial expression now, it's, what's going on? Why is everybody so excited? What's that noise? What's happening? <laughs> Milo really should have stayed living in London, shouldn't he? Milo's oh. great. Milo's like the one at the party who's always like, hey, where's everyone gone? <laughs> he's Joey from Friends, I'd yeah, say. He's yeah, he's like, Joey from yeah. Friends. Hey! So there's a mutual we going on here. It's rather touching. <laughs> so do you think, just to get back to that subject, do you think that you... What was your coping mechanism when you were a teenager then? I threw myself into everything. So I just said yes to everything. Just, just, I wanted to live two lives, you know, at least, and be as proactive, productive as, you know, as dynamic and as um, busy as I could possibly be. Maybe a bit of that was also, if I did the loads and was busy, yeah. I didn't have to think too much. It's a distraction. You, know? yeah. you get, I got robust bursts of manic energy. Yeah. I sort of do stuff, I must do stuff, I must do things, yeah. so. Milo, Milo, 
Milo! Pretty sure that dog's all right, but... Oh, is there Milo! another dog? <sighs> I think it's fine. Milo! Milo! Oh, no. Oh, God. Milo! Milo! Sorry. Milo! 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 You okay? You okay? Milo! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come on. Shh, come on. No. Hey! No! No, no, no. Sorry. Maggie's fine. She's fine. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Come here, come here, come here. Come on. What's your dog called? Do you mind if I just give him a stroke so that Milo can see me give him a stroke? Hey, Maggie, come here. Oscar. Stop barking. Do you want to go ahead and we'll just hang back? OK, yeah, I think it was verbal, yeah. So that's the thing. I like that kind of anger thing scares me to death. That one? When they get all kind of barky and they get angry. Yeah. Oh, I feel quite... That was quite scary. <laughs> but he's funny. That was like West Side Story. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen such a gang fight in my life. You get to know, you think he wants them to play. And then it's, he's, like, going... Like, that barking stuff that kind of... She was fine, but sometimes people hear the barking and they think it's a fight, whereas she was quite reasonable, wasn't she? And she knew they were just, like, being noisy with each other. I'm not going to lie, I think we've come out of that fight the best. <laughs> the dogs were controlled, they were looked after. <laughs> I get this impression of you as that blonde girl who was always picked first for all the sports teams. Um, I don't think... And no, got straight A's. No, I said to Lois the other day, we were talking about... Because she was saying to me the other day, it's so funny how you see things that she says, I look back to my childhood more, you know, and she said... Because Lois is how old now? Lois 11. And she's there... there you, we, should, we haven't mentioned Reuben yet as well. No, she's twin, twin... I've got twins, Reuben yeah. and Lois are 11. And Lois said, I've decided... I was chatting to Avery the other day and I'm not a leader. But I'm not a follower either. <laughs> and I said, I said, actually, do you know what? I used to feel a bit like that at school. I didn't want to be the leader of the gang. Right. Or I just liked doing what I liked doing. But, and I wasn't kind of that bothered about being the most popular. But I wanted to be as good as I could be. And I wanted to get good grades. Were you and I competitive, to... though? We were a really competitive family, which I suppose is, you know, what has led to, you know, wanting to do well in sport and all those things. We were... Um, not pitted against each other, but my parents definitely didn't do anything to um, diminish the uh, <laughs> the way that the three of us would compete against each other in sport or whatever we were doing. There was yeah. like a competition. There was a competition going on. Who could keep a crisp in the mouth the longest? Just the most ridiculous things. But, but it was did always... you ever not, Did you ever think oh, I don't want to compete? I just feel like I want to be a bit fragile and cry. Yeah, because do you know what? My mum wasn't really like that. So. Mm. So what she was quite good at, which sometimes I found a bit frustrating, was um, she didn't reward success. Like, so everybody was treated the same. So there was no kind of, um, oh, well done, darling. You've, you've achieved more than the next. It was everybody yeah. didn't. As long as you put the effort in, everybody was given the same kind of kudos, you know? Yeah. So she just said, just put as much effort into things as you can. And you'll all be different. You'll all achieve differently academically. You'll all do different things in life. And so she didn't really... Um, have a pecking order or anything like that. So I suppose that created then an environment where, well, actually, if you're doing it, you, you do it because you enjoy it rather than um, because you're going to get some great reward at the end of it. So, so while it was quite competitive and kind of alpha, my mum wasn't from that background. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So she didn't, she didn't actually nurture that. She valued other things. So she wasn't a soccer mum. You know, she wouldn't stand there on the touchline or be kind of really involved in sport. And were you like sport. a tomboy? Or did you have guy friends or, or female friends? Were you more... I'm, I'm, I definitely had both, but I, would, I wasn't in the big girl gangs. Do you know what I mean? I had probably, like, in middle school, which is like 12, 13, 
I had one really close friend. Yeah. And I did like the boys that were in, in my class then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I did, I did enjoy. I'm, I'm hearing you, Gabby I did, Logan. I did enjoy their company. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then when I got to high school, I got a really cool group of girlfriends who who were really supportive of me doing gymnastics, which was really uncool, you know. I was going off wearing leotards at the weekend, prancing around, and they were going off to the Irish Centre getting drunk. And they were so lovely about me doing... Because you did gymnastics for... Was it for Wales or something? Yeah, Often, and yeah. Um, Great Britain. So I was always training and always competing. Do you think that gave you more confidence, though, like, physically as well? Absolutely, yeah. Like, I always think of you as one of those strong, not skinny people. Not that yeah. I'm saying no, you're no, not skinny. No, no, I'm not skinny, are, I'm not skinny. No, no, you are, but I think you've got an incredible figure, but I think also... I think of you as someone I think of... When I think of you... you think if you want heavy box moving, I'll give Gabby a call. That's what you think, isn't it, Emily? <laughs> I think... If I think of you, I think... If I touch you, everything will stay in place <laughs> and it won't move. I suspect you've got thighs like Usain Bolt. <laughs> I, think, I'm, I think doing sport when you're that age, and I'm really passionate about this, it's one of my kind of big, you know, if, if I could change the world topics, is is so empowering for, for girls, you know, because I think you see your body in a completely different light. It's not about how it fits into a dress or what it looks like for a bloke or how even how it looks like for your female friend. It's, it's, it's a tool, it's a portal, it does other stuff, and I think it carries you through a really tricky period of your life in a different way. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're not in a size 8 dress, but if you feel strong and healthy, then you're, you're just already in a better place mentally, aren't you? Because, you know, you have a... Your self-esteem, I think, is better and you, you know... Did you... Have you always been confident, though, like, about how you look? No, because the irony is I chose a sport where you had to wear a leotard. And, um, a bit unforgiving, so, those things. <laughs> but when I was worried about was I thin enough, it was more about gymnastics terms, you know, is my body going to be able to do Rather those things? Rather than the media pressure. Yeah, or... yeah. So, um, and also, I didn't grow up with social media. I was saying to me the other day, they're never going to have those pictures where you look back and laugh at your hair or your makeup or your skin or anything, because they just airbrush it out of existence, don't they? <laughs> I want to talk to you about you getting into the job that you did and TV and... What was your first...? You didn't go straight to Sky, did you? Oh, no, I was... So, in that manic period that we were talking about earlier, when I was 19, I went off to Durham to do law. Yeah. And um, in, the, in the gap year that I had... I had many... You see, already it's like... Oh, yeah, you know that really hot blonde girl and she's really good at gymnastics and all sport and she did law? <laughs> I think I would have been quite jealous of you, Gabby, when I was growing up. I think I would have had a real problem with you. And, um, yeah, but I was also the person in the class that used to put tippex on her tongue when the teacher turned around to try and make the class laugh. I was telling Lois... Oh, and you were the comic as well. <laughs> well, screw you. <laughs> no, I was... My, my girlfriends thought I was... That's for us short little ones they who were... aren't good at sport. We rely on comedy, OK? <laughs> Don't steal it off us. Well, I, I, I think I didn't have... At that point in my life, I didn't have the, um, what's the word? I wasn't self-conscious when I was a teenager at all. And I don't know why, because I wasn't bothered about the boys liking me at all when I was like 13, 14. And so that's why I did things like that. And my friend Anne-Marie always just like, I can't believe you just did that. Did you see the way that Marcus Diaz-Sanchez was looking at you when you did that? And I so? Well, I don't care. And um, so I, I, I think at that age, that was quite good to not have, you know, that kind of self-consciousness because yeah. you don't see yourself fitting into any particular box, you know what I mean? You just go, oh, I'll just try things and do things. So when I went off to do law, I thought, I want to work in broadcasting, because I've been on Blue Peter as a gymnast, and I thought, oh, God, this is really great. The cameras, the lights, everything was so exciting. Live TV was exciting, which, of course, it is. It's incredibly exciting. And 
Um, I said to the producer I'd like to be a television presenter <laughs> in that 15-year-old kind of very um, self-assured way. And he said, um, oh, well, go to university and then come back and see me later on. Um, he wasn't very helpful in terms of career, you know, kind of ladder, how I was going to yeah. get there. So I went off and did a law degree, and in my gap year, I met a radio boss from Newcastle who ran the local commercial radio station, Metro FM. And he said, when you come to Durham, come and see me, and we'll try and, you know, I'll get you some training. And by the Christmas, I was doing news bulletins. And then by the end of my first year, I was like a swing jock. So whenever the jocks were off, I would come in and take over their shows. So, um, so it was like having a three-year apprenticeship while I was at university doing um, the degree. And when I graduated, they offered me the Monday afterwards, we'd like you to start as the breakfast show presenter, which on any commercial radio station is, you know, it's a great show to have. And I thought, right, well, I'll give it a year, sign a year's mm. contract. And then if not, I'll go to law school. And um, before the end of my first year, Sky had come in and asked me to go and work for them. Working at Sky in the mid to late 90s, you know, there was two men and his dog watching and I got to just practice telly, live telly, yeah. every day. I was There's doing no two live shows it. a day, yeah. So it's I was... like being on the nightly show now. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of a, oh, well, I did that wrong and that was wrong, but it, it's OK, because it was Sky Sports Centre, yeah. which was the, the thing that happened before... You know Sky Sports News, which is on 24 hours a day? That didn't exist then. This was the shows that happened Did you before. think, though... Back then, it was particularly harder, I think, you know, because we have come on a lot in the last 20 oh, yeah, years, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, def definitely. I think what was harder, you know, and I don't... I try not to be too hard on myself about it, but I do think there were bits of me that tried to be... I don't mean ladettish, but, you know, tried to be more male in my behaviour to fit in. And What's I look, the look thing? Back, you know, just the kind of... The boyfriends and the <laughs> and the drinking and genuinely, I think Kenny saved me. <laughs> really? Because I was, I really didn't like myself about two months before I met him, because I was thinking I don't enjoy. I'm not enjoying this. You know what I mean? I'm not enjoying kind of being low-key and because um, it wasn't really very. It wasn't really very me. You know, I kind of the banter. You know what I mean? It was getting too. And it wasn't it wasn't really fun anymore. It just felt a little bit mean and aggressive. And I think a lot of women felt that in the nineties. I but, always felt that, and but I didn't articulate it really. And I think I, it, I probably was. Sub, it was subliminal. It wasn't a conscious thing. I wasn't thinking, right, I've got to do this. This is how I've got to be. You know, you just you just morph into your environment a bit too much, don't you? And it was. Oh, I don't care what you know anybody said. And I think people at Sky would admit it, it was a very testosterone-filled place, you know? And people said things that just would not even come out of people's mouths now, you know? Not guys. Yeah, you know. And, and what they, would you do when that happened? I'd try and kind of, like, you know, brush it off with a swagger and kind of sashay down the corridor. But after, that's, you know, I, remember, I always remember this guy who was a presenter in another sport shouting out, you've got a great ass, but when you're older, it's going to be down by your knees. Oh, I've given his accent away now. But, um... <laughs> Good, but good. Name and shame, Logan. And I remember going, I don't think it will. And afterwards, I thought I should have even said that. I should have just stuck two fingers up at him and walked on. But you've got to come back with some. Always had to come back with something. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. did you feel? Do you remember? I remember in that time. I don't know if you did any of this, but I know there was a lot of. If you're a female TV presenter, I felt part of the contract was that you had to get her be in hot pants and a bra <laughs> and loaded. Yeah. Well, the did I you did, ever do that? The only thing I did was um, I didn't do loaded. I did um, a GQ shoot, and I didn't do hot pants as such, but of course the skirt was really split, and there was, and the kids have seen the pictures, and they just think they're hilarious. They think they're the funniest, most disgusting pictures I've ever seen. You know, there's a bit of me going, like you know, slightly um, um, looking back to my kind of former self, Miss Havisham style. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> as I rattle around in my gown. <laughs> that was me. Um, but they, they just think they're disgusting. And, um, and actually, they do look so dated. You know, they look, they look so just really unattractive and massively um, of its time, I guess, those, those kinds of pictures, aren't they? And I... And I was covered up. I didn't, you know, I didn't succumb to the pressure, by the way, from the photographer who told me that I should really just pull my top down because that would be much more arty and much more Gwyneth Paltrow, his exact words. Um, and <laughs> what she did was she just moved the top down a little bit and it was like, it just so arty. Um, so I, I, um, I did, did succumb a little bit to that. And I look back at kind of things that I... I remember going to the GQ Awards, actually, in what I thought was quite a nice short dress and over-the-knee boots turned out to be quite see-through once the camera, uh, the bulbs were on it. And it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but I think, oh, you know, you go over, oh, I think I, I just let myself down a little bit there. <laughs> but you live and learn, don't you? And you, um... Well, I don't think you let yourself down on the dress front, <laughs> but I think what happens, I think you're right about that era. I totally get that, where I can remember... I thought it was expected of me and very cool to refer to other women as birds all the time and say yeah. they were fit and, yeah. and slightly objectify them. Yeah. Because I, I felt I had to behave like a man in order to be accepted. Yeah. You are you're one of the most successful sports presenters in the country, aren't you? It's, a, it's an amazing achievement. Obviously, Sue Barker had been working before me and, yeah, it's funny because you kind of like don't ever think about that, do you, when you do anything? You don't think, oh, I'm, I'm going to be... The trailblazer. I'm going to be a pioneer. I'm going to go and you just get and have an interest in something. And oh, genuine chickens. Yeah, Hello. six of them. Yeah, six chickens. <laughs> yeah, just casually. Well, you some eggs. Oh, I love, Not, I love they'll, some they'll eggs. They'll be inside already. But you okay, can... I'll get some of those later. So um, no, I just I think if you enjoy what you do and you have a passion for what you do then you're not going to go too far wrong, are you? If you work hard at it, you're going to be, you're going to be OK because you love what you're doing. We could have had a dip. Oh, <laughs> I love the pull. What would you say no to? Um, I think early on in my career, I had a very good boss at ITV who, um, who made me say no to tons of stuff that I would, Emily, have jumped in with both feet. What sort know? of thing? I, any, any show I was offered, I would have done. I was like, you know, yeah, let's do it. I had no kids and, you know, no, no partner even at the time. Um, no regular partner. And so I was like, I love whatever. no regular partner. <laughs> little hint at the, the Gabby Ladette days. Well, slightly, you know, um, Look at the tennis court. There used to be... A, there used to be a bench here. <laughs> I mean, you I know, this is... Like, I would pay a lot of money to stay somewhere like this. Well, you don't need to, Emily. Chickens, you don't need tennis to. court, swimming pool. Um, the, the net's not up yet, because um, it, uh, it was down for the winter. We're sitting down yeah. on the steps. Sitting on the steps. Have you seen Kenny's digger? Um, <gasps> this is, by the way, we didn't put oh, this, this up. Is nice. What's this? This was... Um, we call this the, this a gazebo. Um, the gazebo. They left it here, the people before. This is and like an LA wedding. This is what it looks like. You know when they have the LA wedding yes, outside yes, on the white yes. chairs? Well, I think it feels... And a very firm-bodied young woman marries an old man <laughs> with two angry stepchildren in the background. Um, so anyway, so when you met Kenny, I'm, oh, this is what I was all been leading up to. <laughs> so, um... Oh, oh wait, the, my hunter wellies have got caught on the gazebo bench. <laughs> How oh, is Lois going to get married? Oh, I, don't, I think this I is going to go. <laughs> I'm not that fat. No, it's just the leg. It's fine, honestly. I'm nervous, Gabby. <laughs> it's, no, it's no, look, it's just a Well, spring. you said it's just the leg. That holds the whole thing up. <laughs> Where's all the benches gone? Honestly, we had about five benches. Did you you know when you sit on it? Oh, there's bench. one in that garden over there. Okay. <laughs> that garden over there, this gives you a size. No, no, Woman no, that, of the sounds, people. that sounds terrible. <laughs> that garden over there. <laughs> what I love about Gabby is how down to earth she is. You know that garden over there? <laughs> Kenny, Kenny calls this rather grandly um, the rose garden that's got no roses. You he know goes, what's really sweet about you? Is I, that you've been with Kenny how many years? 
16. And I, I think you've got mentionitis. You know, oh, when no. you first meet a guy and you really love him, <gasps> and you go, oh, and then the thing about Kenny, <laughs> and then I was talking to Kenny the other day, and Kenny did this. Oh, no, that's and terrible. And it's the most adorable thing I've ever heard in my life, that you've been married 16 years, you've got two kids, Look. and you've still got mentionitis. <laughs> you just so really hear it, and I think that's a real sign that someone's happy. Oh, well, so, I am. So, um, my friend's birthday party, and I was a bit, I just want to go home, I'm not enough of this. Like, two months before, I'd have been out till six, you know. And yeah. it got to, like, half past one, and I said to my girlfriend, she was sharing a cab back to where we were, I was living in West London, and she said, oh, um, let's just pop in here for a quick drink. Bouncer wouldn't let us in, said it's tw ten to two. What do you want to come in at ten to two for? No, nobody goes Say, because we're ladettes, we've got yeah. pop tops. Hello, it's 1999. Um, so, luckily, somebody I knew was walking behind the bouncer, who was quite a wealthy bloke, and he obviously had the bouncer's ear and said, let him in, let him in. So we got in, and next thing... Um, she's pointed to this group of lads saying, oh, I know those guys, I worked with them this week. She was a producer at Sky. She said, oh, I know those guys, I made a VT with them. And they were all Kenny's teammates from Wasps. So I started chatting to them, she started chatting to them. And then this Scottish guy turned around, who I'd previously been out with, and asked me if I wanted a drink. And he went up and got me a drink. And when he came back, he had two glasses, and Kenny just took both glasses off him and kind of elbowed him out of the way and gave me one and kept one for himself. <laughs> and so that was it. And then... We, it transpired we lived half a mile from each other in Chiswick, so... Oh, handy for the first night shenanigans. <laughs> and then it was really nice because he was um, playing for Scotland and he had to keep going away to play for Scotland for a week at a time. And did you really think, I, I'm really into him the first time you met him? Do you know what was really weird? I remember thinking I loved his voice and I, I listened to his voice and I was thinking, oh, I love, I love the tone of his voice and um, I could listen to that voice for a long time. I read something once, or I remember reading about it at the time or I saw Kenny talking about it. He told a story, which I found it really moving, I remember, when I read, that he said when you discovered he couldn't read. Yeah. And you, what happened? He was reading an so, article. And there was something. an article about me. It was like a double pager in the mirror or something. And I think I'd, I'd actually consented to the article. It wasn't a horrible piece or anything. But, you know, with those kind of pieces, you don't know whether a journalist is going to go one way or the other. And I, so I read it, and then I showed it to him, and I said, oh, what do you think? And I could see his eyes darting all over the place. And he, he says he was thinking, how long do I have to pretend to be reading so that she thinks I've read it? And, um, and he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's good, are you happy? And he, kind of, he did that. And I said, you didn't read that. And he went, and he looked really, his reaction wasn't like, I didn't read that because I couldn't be bothered. He just looked yeah. really scared. And I said, are you dyslexic? And he just, again, he, he looked even, you know, even more fearful. And he just thought that I was going to go, right, that's, he said, you were so clever and, you know, you got a law degree. And I was thinking, well, she finds out I can't read. That's, that's it. She's not going to want to go out with me. And which, of course, wasn't, you know, wasn't the case. And, and then from then on, knowing that obviously helped me to understand him even more. Mm. But also, I didn't rush into it, but I thought, I want to help him. Do you know what I mean? I want to help him because I knew he was clever and he had a really good, you know, witty, quick brain that could see situations and wasn't, you know, he was interested. That was the thing. He was yeah. interested in so He's much. Curious. Yeah, and he just wanted to know about everything. And so I then saw this thing on the Trevor McDonald programme, like it doesn't even exist now, about this educational programme that helps stimulate the cerebellum and it's a physical literacy thing and which he's still involved with and he went through that program and he ended up I mean not only did he then find reading easier and writing easier and he he improved his sport it improved his peripheral vision so he was his coach thought he was on steroids his coach said to him at wasps in Scotland said Kenny I'm I'm going to ask you straight what have you been doing because I can't believe the way you're playing at the wow, moment so and really so life -changing, yeah, yeah it was a really life-changing thing for him you seem quite just spending time with you today like you seem quite a calm, placid person. 
Are you a kind of diffuser of situations? I think we both have um, the ability to do that. If something's wrong, going wrong, he's really mechanically minded. If something's going wrong mechanically or, or technically and I get a bit... Bleh. Whereas I can sometimes see the detail, the bigger picture. Do you know what I mean? I'll go, OK, you need to do this and don't worry about that. He's not a panicker, though, so it would be wrong for me to say that I diffuse things. He's an ideas person. He's always coming up with ideas. You know, he just needs people to... In his business, he needs people to do the detail for him because he's always got the big ideas. So he's he's very um, positive. Yeah. And um, he's got a really great outlook on life. And um, he's probably... <laughs> if you don't know him, if you meet him the first time, you probably think he's... He's got so much energy that I think it can make people feel a bit exhausted. You know, sometimes I have to go... To... He's like Milo, the boxer. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Labradoodle. <laughs> you have a pretty busy schedule, don't you? Because you're doing... You're presenting... I mean, how many days a week, on average, are you...? This week, I'm in Liverpool tomorrow for um, the Premier League show. Thursday, I'm doing an event for the Premier League, funnily enough, and then... But it's just like every week no, so it's different. to me. So this weekend just gone was my first weekend off this year. So the weekends tend to be busy with work. People always used to be surprised that I'd work on Boxing Day and I'd always say, well, the thing with football, it tends to happen when you have your downtime. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about Saturdays, Sundays, although now football is blinking ubiquitous, isn't it? It just happens any time. But I work a lot on bank holidays and things like that. And, but now I'm not doing so much regular football at the weekends. I'll do yeah. Six Nations or athletics. or. So I reckon I've gone from working 48 weekends a year to, say... 30, which is much better, because then I get to do... But when you're doing something like Olympics coverage or something like that, I mean, it's handy if it takes place here, but it doesn't yes. work, does it? So... <laughs> that was so well-timed. <laughs> yeah, that was handy for you. Yeah. But it does mean sometimes you're away for large periods yeah, of time, so doesn't it? So... If I'm going away somewhere like Brazil for three weeks for the Olympics or the World Cup or something, then I'll try and, obviously, that summer not be doing loads of big trips. I used to feel really bad about... You know, I went to Beijing for the Olympics when they were three, and that was the worst, because the first time I'd ever left them for that period of time. And, was that difficult? Oh, I felt wretched, I felt dreadful. Of course, they didn't... They had a fantastic time. And when I got back, the day I got back, I said, right, I'm going to take you to Legoland. And we were driving down the 316, and we passed Twickenham, and Ruben said, there's the bird's nest where Mummy's been for the last three weeks. And I was like, you think I've come a mile down the road? <laughs> and so they had no concept of where I was. You should just lie and say yeah. you were there. Yeah, that's right, I was there yeah. for three weeks. Those things get easier. I think the kids love it now. So I said to them the other day, <laughs> I said, I have one of those like, midlife crises. I was up on Sunday evening, decided to Google um, bar conversion courses, because I'm now going to fulfil my ambitions, become a barrister. Are I'm you? Gonna, no, this is what no. I was thinking. I was having a Sunday night gin and tonic moment and I said, I'm going to be a barrister. On Monday morning, I announced I it to the family you. at breakfast. I said, I'm decided I'm going to go to the, do a two-year bar conversion. And both kids were like, are you mad? Well, that's rubbish. That's rubbish. That's a Don't real do... Merlot plan, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Did you wake up the next morning and think, no, might you do that? No. It lasted about 24 hours. I was thinking, that'd be great. And I could see myself cycling into the end of the floor. The fantasy. Going, yeah, I'm going to just go do, I think... I look, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm not... Um, everybody does it, don't they? Would you do anything else, though? Besides that? No, not besides... I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I think you've got quite a nice career. I think I used to think that I'd be off telly by this age. I genuinely... When I first started at Sky, um, one of my bosses told me that um, if you're not doing live football on my channel by the time you're 28, you won't be doing it at all. And, I mean, that's what I'm saying before about things that people used to say that they get away with. You know, I can be making millions out of those comments now. And I, so in my head, I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I've got a finite amount of time to do this. Why? Because you're female, do you think? Yeah, I thought, I thought that, you know, that nobody'd want me on television over the age of 40. This is when I was in my 20s. It's interesting because I think the landscape has changed so much that mm. maybe 20, 30 years ago, 
the idea would have been that you got to a certain age and, you know. Yeah, and I think it helps also. I genuinely haven't been employed because I, I don't no. I don't look a certain way. You don't trade off that. Yeah, so I think I can do my job. And But that also took a while to feel more confident about and and knowing, and I'm I so subscribe to the, call it what you like, but the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, whatever it is, that, you know, Matthew side bounce, all those kind of philosophies about the more you practice and do something. And I just feel so much more confident about what I do now. And I love doing, I love it when something goes wrong on air and things happen, because that's where I feel like you? you come into your own, you know, and you have that, the coping, you know, mechanisms that you have to employ and all that. I really, and that's what I love about live so sport. So you get, a, yeah, but yeah, but you get adrenaline rush or that yeah, type of yeah. person. And I don't, I don't at the start of the show, I don't get that massive, I'm not hugely nervous at the beginning. It's only when things go a little bit off off balance and you know aren't quite as smooth as as they should be or a big show something like sports personality which is just a mega show with hundreds of people involved and a live audience of 15 to you know 12,000 whatever as well as the nine million at home those kind of shows you just feel like that's what you work all year for you know that's your kind of um... so you're able to convert nerves into positive performance energy I suppose that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's not being handicapped or being uh, restricted by your by your nerves, and that's what we're all. I suppose when you when you're in sports, and when I was a gymnast, that's what you were desperate to try and achieve. And actually, I look back now and think, I wish I knew a little bit more about performance. What I know now, then, because I just I was a bag of nerves when I was a gymnast. You know, I spend hours praying to some god that I decided was going to help me through this routine not my training you know it was all going to be yeah. and I remember promising god before like you had no control over no, it I promised god before I went on the mat in one competition that I'd go to Africa as a missionary for a year if he'd let me get through the routine without dropping a ball which I feel terrible about now because obviously I haven't been for a year although I did do a film for comic relief <laughs> Doesn't count, Gabby. <laughs> but I wasn't even like a church-going person. <laughs> I, was, I was brought up Roman Catholic, but I wasn't going to church at that point. And I remember going, please, if you just let me get through this routine today. But that's interesting that that's how bad your nerves were. Yeah. So your sporting experience, you've actually been able to utilise that. I am your therapist now. Yeah. You've actually been able to utilise that in your career now yeah. as a presenter, which is interesting. Yeah. Because you, you, you work well with adrenaline. Yeah, and I obviously did to a certain extent because obviously I got through to a certain level of yeah. what I did. But I, but I didn't enjoy it. You know, it was almost like a sick making that whole experience. Whereas I don't feel like that about what I do work-wise. I love, I look forward to it. You know, and I get excited about a big show or a big event that we're doing. And spending time with you today, I would say you're very much the person that you present. I mean, I haven't seen you when you're premenstrual and the <laughs> kids have made a mess. And, but no, you seem very much, you are just the person that you see on screen. It's funny because the kids always take the mickey out of me and say that my, they go, go do it in your broadcasting voice. <laughs> <laughs> they go, do it in your telly voice. Do, no, do it in your telly voice. And then they, they're so rude. They're like, oh, listen to that voice. Oh, no, not that voice. Do it in your normal voice. And then for about, um, for a while, I went through this thing when they were about five where I'd keep talking in a Russian accent and I told them that I was actually Russian and that I'd been pretending to be English for um, for ages. And they said, look, stop being rude to me about my telly voice or this is how I'm going to speak all the time. I just want to mention something. It's one of my favourite clips ever, which is something I've seen on YouTube, which is a clip of Gabby in the Rose of Tralee, which I believe you won. I won the Leeds. Uh, I was never going to win the, the international okay. final, Emily. Okay. That, the only, only really girls from Cork who marry, who marry ex-priests. <laughs> the Rose of Tralee is... Well, what, Gabby, well, it's, do you want to what it is? It's, um, so if you ever watched Father Ted... 
it's the lovely girls competition. Yeah, it's and a so, beauty pageant. But it's not a beauty pageant because there okay. is no swimwear and there is nothing, it's, it's absolutely nothing to do with the female form. It is about talent, exactly. you have to have the talent. And mine was delivering a poem. <laughs> Most of the girls so played the piano. So why did you take part in the Rose of I didn't. What happened was my, my friend... You did. So all I've my, seen the footage. All my friends in Leeds were either Polish or Catholic because I went to Catholic schools. And so we either lived in the Polish centre or the Irish centre at the weekends. So most of my Irish friends, their dads, um, came over from Ireland and set up plant hire companies. That's kind of pretty much what they all did. And my friend Emery's dad had done very well for himself. And every year he sponsored a girl for the Leeds roles. And he said, sure, Gabby, now your dad's from, your granddad's from Cork, my, on my mum's side. He said, um, as that qualifies you for the Rosalie now, I'll give you £500 to enter. And so I only had to enter for £500. So I borrowed a really glitzy dress off one of my mum's most fabulous Jewish friends who had a collection of amazing... I've seen the dress. And, um, and, I, and I won the Leeds thing. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? Well, you have to go to Ireland for two weeks and take part in the big international pageant. And I was 18. I just started my gap year. I was the youngest of all the roses. And it was like being thrown into the most incredible... I mean, I can't even begin. The, the, the whole thing is like you're, you're taken to hospitals and made to touch the sick and you're taken into towns and wave at the people and you're, you're driven through Ireland as if you're a royal. So it was the most brilliant two weeks of madness. Every night there were these banquets and functions and it was sponsored by Aer Lingus and some other massive Irish kind of... You know, and, well, the footage um, I've seen of you, you've got a red dress, fabulous. which looks like something out of the Colby's with yeah, huge with shoulders. Hair. and I got hair. Did I look about 48? Because I was 18. <laughs> It looked like there's quite a lot of hair product. It's Gay Byrne who's, Gay Byrne, who's yes, interviewing yes. you. And what really struck me when I've watched it is, forensically, as I do a lot, no, but when I've watched <laughs> it, I thought it was fascinating because you seem very self-assured, I thought, and very confident of your um, direction in life. You know, which you don't normally get for I people I actually said age. on it, didn't I? I want to be... I'll tell you exactly what you said because <laughs> I remembered it. Gay Byrne says to you... He's talking about uh, your gymnastic, you know, the problems yeah. you have with your back or something. Yeah. And he says, oh, a very sad thing happened. And you say, well, sad-ish. <laughs> Did I? Yes. Did I say sad-ish? Well, I thought it was quite rude, actually, to poor old gay burn. <laughs> That's so funny that I should say that, like put it into context. Because you know what, my brother hadn't died then. Because I could imagine myself saying that a year later, like get a grip, you know. Yeah. I think you were just confident, and I think you and you said very clearly, you said I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be working TV. You said I've done some work experience for today newspaper, but they're all a bit laddie. It's brilliant. Did I say they were laddie? That's so funny. Come on. You knew who you were. You were like yeah. very super confident. Well, my dad decided because my dad's very shy. So for his speech at my wedding, he made the most brilliant sequence of videos. He made a tape basically and just narrated it so that nobody had to look at him. And that was one of his favourite bits. Is that why? Because he shot. And um, how's he doing, Gabby? Because I know he had a bit of a tricky yeah, time. Yeah, he's 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 all right. He's okay. He's, Good. I wish he was. Um, I don't know. I wish he he's he's his life obviously. You know, through my brother dying, um, I think he was one of those people that saw life as being the glass half empty. And my brother dying confirmed to him everything. Whereas I think my mum, when probably why they ended up splitting up, she was very much like, let's find the meaning in this, let's find the reason. And and so he has, um, he's he's naturally quite a sad and um, 
So he's lovely. You know, it's like, I don't want to be... Because everybody that meets him thinks he's adorable and they love him. But I, I'm sad for him because I feel like he's not done as much with his life in the last 20 years that he should have done. And that makes you feel sad, doesn't it, as a child? You know, you... Of you, course, and, yeah. Um, but he's, he's his birthday today. I spoke to him this morning. And oh, he's, really? you know, he's, he's, he's lovely. He came down for Christmas this year and the kids adore him. But he's not really massively in their lives. I think if he lived close by... They, they would get so much out of him, you know, and uh, he'd be a great granddad. But, um, yeah, he's where he is. So he's so loved by people, you know, and people in football talk to him I about him so I think sometimes it's an injury that's just so hard to recover from, mm. that particular one, isn't it? Mm. And I think loss of a child, it's just, you know, it's... Um, I know with my parents, I mean, they died pretty soon afterwards, and I know, my, my parents, you know, it's too much of a coincidence. You mm. know, my mum got motor neuron disease suddenly and then died, mm. and my dad mm. suddenly... Had a stroke. It's mm. like, I think it's just you know. I think it is a, um, as you say, an injury or a, it's a, it's a mark that you know, we do appreciate what we have. And I think you've got to live every day, haven't you, with that appreciation. And you don't know what can happen, and you don't know what's around the corner in life. I think that's the one thing that we, we learn through our experiences. And and you can't. Um, I think that's true. You can't kind of plan too far in advance, can you? You just got to. Carpe diem, Logan. Exactly. What about... I don't know if we're allowed to say this on the podcast, but there's a, there's a posh neighbour around here that I don't think we're allowed to mention <laughs> who it is. Gabby, go on, as we walk in, tell us who lives near here. It's so exciting. So Mary Berry lives in the village. <gasps> and um, The only cook in the village. Well, you say that. I saw your she, cooking. Um, she, <laughs> she's, been, um, she's been around for dinner. I've had her around for dinner <gasps> two weeks ago. I had to cook for Mary Berry. You didn't? Yeah. What did well, you I'd get? Well, I've been around to her house and so of course I had to do the invite back and um, she knew the people that lived here three people what before was the us. food like that she cooked for you you've got to say it's nice traditional beautiful so mm. not um, shepherd's pie no mm. guinea fowl and tarragon sauce which I would say about is about as traditional as you can get is it not she did do a recipe for her own book um, which was um, a salmon mousse um, do you know what the thing she's got that I'm most jealous of what not her ability to make a French tart in the blink of an eye she has I don't know if I'm allowed to say this she has a walk-in fridge. She has a, a fridge that you can actually, you could actually sit down in. It's it's bigger than an average larder, and she, I love it. To well, she I've said, seen your larder. Your larder <laughs> is basically the size of Berkshire. She said. She said. I said that's amazing. She said. Do you know what's brilliant about it? And she said this without any kind of sense of, uh, you know, the no grandeur or anything. She said, you know when you get four or five bouquets and you don't want to put them all out at once? You can just put three in <laughs> the fridge and put two out. <laughs> oh, Mary doesn't realise that not everybody gets five bouquets. I made the kids kind of not be around while we had dinner and then they, of course, came in and wanted to chat to her. And she was so lovely with the kids. She's got such an amazing energy and she wants to know everything about everybody and what everybody's doing. And the next day, Reuben said... 11-year-old boy, bear in mind, he said, um, I really like Mary. He goes, she is up for it. <laughs> <laughs> but she kind of is. I know that sounds that sounds an unlikely description of Mary Berry. But she that is. can be her next book, Mary, Mary Berry Up For It. Up for it. <laughs> she's just signed a new three-year deal with the BBC. I, mean, I love her. She's so pretty. She's got such a kind of kind, pretty face. Oh, Gabby, I've really enjoyed this. Oh, it's been really lovely. What a perfect day as well. I love the, the way you did that. It was gorgeous. like you were wrapping up a nice sporting interview. <laughs> what a perfect day. Anyway, yeah, back to Gary in the studio. You can see highlights later on BBC Two. And, of course, the red button coverage continues. We'll be on the... Uh... <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed Walking the Dog. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Otherwise, no treats for you. Zero.